Hey, Printosphers, welcome back to another episode of the Printavo Printosphers podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. We've got our co-host, Mr. Stephen Farragut of Campus Inc. And very special guest. I need to get a soundboard. I feel like I need an audience that cheers every time I do this. But our very special guest, Rafael Perez out of Portland, Oregon. Uh, now, hey, guys. Thanks for having me. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you for being able to join us. I know you've got a crazy, crazy schedule, so it's an honor to to be able to uh, hang out and spend an hour with you. Yeah, well, typical day in in the garment industry, right? That is so true, actually. You know, before I actually ask you that, um, it's funny because earlier today I was over at Super Colors, uh, one of their uh, warehouses here, and um, just seeing how everything works and... and um, chatting with rum walia who's over there and they've got a really cool just crazy growing operation and i'm walking back to the car and i just see a banner that says screen printing and uh, embroidery and i'm like hmm and i walk in and ended up meeting the owner super nice guys they're over at mixer inc and i was like what's that laptop and then they're using printavo on there and i was like damn that's really cool and he's like yeah nice. dude, there's like four or five shops just on the street did they know who you were, Bruce? I yeah, he watches a lot of the videos, so um, that helped because I sent him a message real quick on Instagram, like, "Hey, can I stop by? I'm gonna be in the area back again in like an hour," and I just said Bruce at the bottom, so that helped. He's like, "Dude, I love watching the the tours. I get ideas," and he showed me he's building out this space, like this office area, you know, and sectioning it off. Um, but he's he's been grinding, got hit hard by COVID, uh, and then now it's just really ramped back up again. So, cool. Anyway, I digress. Very <laughs> cool. So, Raf, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how'd you get into the industry? Yeah. So, um, as I was explaining a little bit last week to to Bruce, was that I am I have a background in liberal arts, and so um, during school, I actually um, you know also kind of branched off into like watercolor paintings and cross hatching and that kind of took me into the realm of of graphics and and uh, graphic design so I actually uh, took up color separation very early on as I was also working on graphics not satisfied with just you know the 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 virtual aspect of the process I always loved the screen process obviously the color process I was actually being trained in a very interesting part of the process for me and you know being paid for it so I always had fun it almost seemed like a like a hobby to me production can be a little bit monotonous but I spent a few years in production um, just kind of like witnessing if you establish the right fundamentals in pre-press in in artwork right is where the big payoff is at very interesting that you bring that up uh, with Stephen you doing a little a uh, bit of a time study around pre-production and setup compared to actual print time yeah we uh bruce and i were screen sharing last week and i was showing him we kind of have timers set up for different stages of the job and we were looking at it and the majority of the day was all in pre-press and setup and teardown and sure. uh i kind of said yeah someone told me once we're screen makers not screen printers you know we're really good at setting up but the printing part you know doesn't take the longest and it was kind of eye-opening because I'm like, wow, how many hours a week do we spend in pre-press? And it just, Correct. 
I started counting, and I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> sure, and and it, how critical it is for a successful production run. Um, you know, at times some some folks may focus more on production, but you know, establishing root causes and you know, um, understanding the fundamentals of pre-press and how it affects in a good or a bad way um, the production process. I think that's really where where it's very key and um, kind of maybe the difference between a very successful um, business and one that, you know, may have a lot of opportunities if you're not already um, establishing those best processes in um, in pre-press. So, I'm a big I'm a big proponent of pre-press because I you know it's 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 obvious to people such as yourself that um that's really where where the success begins you know kind of like behind the curtain behind the scenes and then you know we're 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 screen printers and some of us are screen makers and ink mixers but at the end of the day um your customer pays for a well printed you know garment or or substrate right so it's kind of my thought on the process. Um, I also think, you know, I love, I love artwork, obviously. I, you know, it's my background. Design is my background. But I never lose track. I never, you know, I always continue to focus on this, is, this being a business. It's a fun business if you want to make it a fun business. But at the end of the day, you know, we're hoping to get larger runs, right? Larger volume. And um, although I love, you know, Taj Mahal type of artwork, you know, at the end of the day, everybody has to, you know, um, make a living and turn a profit and hopefully, you know, help help out wherever we can, you know, community wise and, you know, uh, workers and, you know, establish a really good, you know, clean business. But um, at the end of the day, you know, one one good piece or one beautiful piece is not what we're after. We're after, you know, large production, hopefully, and, you know, being able to, to you know, support the, all of our customers in, in the highest volume that we can, right? Raf, you're at a, a pretty large international retailer. W- what is your role with working with decorators and just day-to-day look like? Again, you know, super fun kind of responsibility for me. I get to push you know, uh, manufacturers, you know, global manufacturers on their process, on how to identify, you know, gaps and opportunities. How, what is the next best thing in terms of, you know, best practices, process controls, equipment, supply. So I'm there to challenge them into the, that new, that new era that, you know, doesn't come around very often. The, the, the longer we're in the business, the, the, the less there are opportunities, be it, you know, you know, a decade or more back, you know, with DTS, you know, there's been, uh, you know, disp- automated dispensing for ink. And so I'm always constantly pushing them and challenging them on that. And then, you know, dealing with the daily, the daily, you know, troubleshooting of screen printing because, we gotta admit it, right? It's it's a it's challenging to be a screen printer. It's fun, but it comes always with that troubleshooting aspect of it. You know, as much as as much as we would like it to be an automated function and for it to to work more like a digital type of application, that's not what you get. You know, in a very kind of artisan 
type of practice such as you know normal analog screen printing on the really specific side like is it is it also helping the QA or are you finding more decorators for the brand like it, um you know so some of those really big details cuz cuz i mean we met when we were in portugal right and you're doing a lot of research of of different brands and things that's happening and different technology in the space what does that day to day look like for you so i'm constantly scanning for new things you know for example, you know, I'm very interested in this new laser, this new laser um, equipment for for a computer to screen. So that's something that I will, you know, I will be in contact with the manufacturer um, about. I, I, I try to um, get myself very, very involved initially in whatever that new, you know, process or equipment may be. I can uh, either set up, you know, some some workshops around you know, the potential equipment or process, I really do start to make some, some action plans around, you know, doing an R&D, doing testing, you know, building an ROI for, for whatever the project is, helping just kind of close that gap in between, you know, a beta, a beta type of product um, versus, you know, actually installing it in production and then reaping the rewards of it. Gotcha. So, Raf, what would you say is like, the biggest innovation recently you talked about laser right but in the last if you were to look at the last 10 years what would you say has been the the biggest change that you've seen um on your side of it i would say you know it 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 kind of depends on the hemisphere because you know there's some things being done for example in in asia or other parts of the world that have not reached or have have not become mainstream you know, an application in other in other regions. So I'd say probably the biggest and most significant um, in the last decade or so, at least for the for the American continent, has been you know water-based uh, PVC-free inks in general. I mean, the way that they you know the amount of opacity and the coverage of a water-based uh, ink was kind of unheard of you know, maybe 10, 12 years back, you know, in the larger cities of, of the U.S. and in Latin America, of course. So that, I think we've been very, very dependent, you know, as a continent on like plastisol or, you know, um, products, you know, acrylic-based products and plastic-based products such as that. But I think what's really pushed the, the, the industry, at least here in the continent, has been, you know, the way that that water base has really paid off and the way that it continues to be, you know, installed in larger shops and, you know, just showing how, you know, 10, 12 years ago, that just was not possible. And now it's really kind of changed manufacturers' minds. Wow. So you, you talked about hemisphere, right? And you said, you know, there's things that have not hit, you know, this continent yet. Has water base is, are we behind Meaning, like, if you were to go to the Asian countries, like you talked about, have they been using water base a lot longer than we have? Or are we leading that or, you know, that charge? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think cost wise, you know, Asia has obviously they have their raw materials very close. So in terms of like uh, supply chain and cost, you know, that they're, they're basically living in ground zero. Right. That's where a lot of the raw materials come from. It's um Obviously, the you know prior to shipping or freight, the cost is you know very attractive to them. 
So I believe that if for, for different reasons that pro the, the water-based product has been used in other hemispheres, such as Asia, much, much earlier than, than in the Americas. You know, the Americas, I feel like, has been very tea printing centric. So, you know, all of that stuff is synonymous with plastisol, you know, uh, the advent of, of even like, you know, pseudo plastisols, you know, kind of to support that, that tea printing business, you know, be it amusement parks or souvenir shops and things like that, that we have all over the country. And that's what's kind of driven. I, you know, I feel like it's driven Latin America into using or in the past has driven them to use more plastisol to mimic kind of the American printer. But, um, you know, those times are changing. And, you know, I, I often see, you know, shops either using, you know, some some parts of a water-based system or, or, or all together using a water-based system. I think people are starting to realize the, the efficiencies and kind of a, the, a different mindset about using uh, PVC-free water-based ink systems. So just to follow up on that, just because I think this is a very hot topic of yeah. uh, water-based, and I, I don't think our intention today was to talk about water-based ink, but we're yeah. here, and I think it's really cool because you've sure. seen it kind of evolved. People will always say, you know, discharge, that cannot be friendly to, like, our ecosystem. Like, discharge, I mean, that stuff is awful, right? What's your take on that? Because, I mean, printing with discharge is a very important part of water-based printing, I think, from what I know. Uh, how does that fit into the narrative of, of being plastisol-free? Uh, well, you know, there are, there are products out there, you know, zinc-containing products, in discharge printing that, you know, should be called out as a restricted substance. I don't care, I don't care or, or it doesn't matter to me who the, who the brand is. I mean, do it as a, as a, as a movement, you know, and making sure that, you know, we're not affecting the environment. So that, that to me is like rule number one about discharge. So there are some products out there that, that, you know, should be restricted, but there are also some really, really good options now in terms of like, dry state, non-formaldehyde products can either not have formaldehyde in them altogether, or they can, uh, you can evaporate it in, you know, in minutes in a, in a dryer and post cure. So there are options for people that, you know, that, you know, truly care and want to do what's right for, for the safety of their workers and for the environment. I think that's that's interesting because we're starting to see a migration of it. You know, we we talk about night owl printing in in, in Texas that has made it a, a statement to say we will do the most technical of printing and the highest of quality, and we will only use water based. So it's a, it's it's really great to see that. Talk to us about some of the other innovations that you've seen. Um, what's something that you saw maybe like five years ago or ten years ago that's now starting to hit the hit the states? Because you mentioned Asia has some interesting stuff that I haven't seen yeah. over too. I would say all digital is obviously something that's, you know, kind of um, before our eyes, you know, taking place and getting bigger and better all the time. And I can't believe I'm saying that because I'm a screen printer at heart. And, you know, that's that's my roots. But, you know, digital has shown to be more and more feasible all the time. I mean, I think it's, you know, the days of, you know, printing 50 pieces an hour, one color or two colors. They, they've, they've gotten way, way ahead of that. I think that, that digital is probably the largest milestone for apparel printing or apparel embellishment. You know, it's still a, 
a higher ticket price on on some of the equipment and some of the consumables around digital but i mean it's it continues to move forward i mean i i think i think that you know as you amortize the cost of of digital equipment um inside of three or five years they they've become much more faster better quality and uh, just seems to be overall um better in terms of efficiency but i think their time is now this is interesting my business partner is twice my age he he shows me like pieces of ruby lith and wax and, yes. and all that and he said i bought a camera enlarger and then the, the computer came out uh yes. when do you think digital will be the standard when you walk into a print shop do you think that day is coming sooner than we think or do you think it's Ooh. still or is it a balance too? Because there's some thoughts of like it's like it is now where it's certain jobs are ran digital, you know, different types versus others, or does it really sweep across? I, I'm going to say, you know, the, the way that I look at digital, it's kind of a complement to, to textile embellishment, right? I don't think, I don't look at it as like, you know, it's analog or digital. I think, I think they both have their place. I think where digital is at today is that it's carving its own niche. It will be very clear where it's feasible and where it isn't. You know, obviously the num number of colors, complexity, you know, resolution of artwork, those are, those are things that digital excels at. But, you know, that's not to say that analog or, or good old screen print will be replaced. I mean, screen print is still by far much faster than any other medium you know, any other high volume medium, the quality of screen print, the authenticity of screen print also can't really be challenged. I mean, I think there's been a lot said about digital and its quality, but I kind of, I'm kind of a music fan too. So I always look at it in, in this way, you know, you, you can, you can digitize an audio file, you can, you know, uh, polish it, you can, you know, uh, compress it and make it more portable. But at, at the end of the day, What's really showing is that, you know, analog or, or vinyl or high resolution audio continues to have that extra oomph that, you know, screen printing is basically a very uh, artisan skill. And I think it, it kind of shows that in the quality and the, the authenticity of the, of the actual materials that are used to, to, you know, to render the artwork. Yeah, I was just on a, we we're doing a workshop with uh, Aaron Draplin. And he was talking all about like how he's very much a traditionalist with his stickers and posters. And he's like, you have to respect the craft um, and, and pay more for that stuff and, and things like that. Super interesting. Right. Talk to us a little bit about like apparel manufacturing itself, like cut and sew is this big thing we hear now, right? Do you see that coming stateside anytime soon? Or do you think that's going to stay international for as long, you know, as you can imagine. Well, I, as I sit here in L Los Angeles, California, I, you know, um, I'm from here. I, you know, I grew up in, you know, very uh, garment industry circles here, you know, in the heart of downtown, you know, very, very small compared to where it was in the 90s. I mean, I was hoping, you know, that the current, you know, social social issues could maybe point towards bringing that back. I mean, there's nearshore. There's also nearshore here in, in, in Southern California with Mexico. So I think it's, it's kind of previously gone. The business has gone as far as Asia, right? Or the Middle East. 
And then it seems to be inching back in certain ways. You know, you have South America, Central America, and then you have near shore here in, here in um, northern Mexico. It does point towards, you know, some level of manufacturing, you know, cut and sew embellishment uh, coming back. I just don't think that the, you know, the, the right, the right, you know, decision makers, you know, in, in government have, have supported that um, too much. And, you know, the, the reality is the cost, you know, workers comp, insurance, um, those are still very impactful to, to folks, you know, as, as business owners. So I think that's a real big challenge for the industry and, you know, being able to bring jobs and, and manufacturing back to the States. I do also understand that, um, many brands are now interested in providing, you know, presentation studios showing um, customers, you know, how, how they make, how they do their R&D, how they make samples. There's, there's a glimmer of hope there. And I think, um, I think maybe we've all kind of learned a lesson on, you know, how to not keep your manufacturing too far away, especially, you know, with, you know, things such as COVID or, or even, you know, previous supply chain issues that, you know, the industry has seen. So, yeah. What did the supply chain issues you talk about that look like at at such a large scale, uh, you know, retail perspective? Yeah, well, I mean, n- not just where I'm at, but you know, just you know, colleagues that I have across the industry that work for other very large, important brands, and what we've seen is even in like ink manufacturing or supplies, just consumables for for manufacturers, is that there's a real you know, shortage of containers is a real, real threat. And, you know, that's something that maybe, you know, people don't drill down to, to where, where, what the delays are. I hear about delays all the time, but there's literally a shortage of containers. And these containers have become kind of a hot commodity to shippers, you know, from different parts of the world where it's almost like a bidding war for, for, for uh, containers um, to be shipped performance and, and on-time delivery is really what's what's impacting a lot of major retailers. I didn't even think of that as, and you think of what's happening in the Suez Canal right now and like, wow, you don't realize the supply chain backup until something like that happens. And then you think about the ripple effect of the pandemic and, you yes. know, and the Suez Canal, it was stopped for what, like a week, you know? Yes. And, you know, pandemic shut us down for you know still right now yeah um you don't think about that stuff and you don't think about how valuable that and precious that is to those to those manufacturers and retailers yeah i stay up to date with you know um major ink suppliers you know both both u.s based or european or or even asian and um it's the same a story with all of them is that the shortage of, of, of containers is really impacting. That's really where it starts. That's where their, where their current woes begin is just securing a container, you know, things that we used to take for granted before COVID, you know, you, 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 you wouldn't even consider that as an issue. How, I'm kind of pivoting back a little bit, but how does large retail view digital as well? Like, is it like today's perspective? Is it, a sampling thing? Is it more personalization? I see in stores and everything, there's some really cool personalization being done. Um, 
is it just more of watching it and, and sort of saying, okay, maybe in five years we have a huge in, you know capital investment here to, to help pivot? Or- well, from a manufacturing standpoint, I think um, um, you know printers, embellishers probably should have a, a better get first a better idea of what are the capabilities and then do a good job of selling those capabilities and those attributes um, to the major brands. Um, I think the, the major brands kind of rely on the, on the manufacturers of the equipment and on the users, such as the manufacturers, um, to kind of educate the brands of what those, what those uh, attributes are. Um, and just, you know, building a really good case being very transparent of what the costs are, what the implications are, because digital is not the first choice for some segments of the business. You could say that in the same breath. I mean, if you're going to do larger business, larger volume, maybe digital is not for for you. But if you're going to do, uh, Bruce, like you say, a lot of custom, you know, one-off prints and, you know, quick turn type of business, then digital is definitely um, something that you should at least look at. I think right now with the speed at, at, at which it's, you know, moving along and, and, and progressing, I think a lot of people just need to fully understand why, why pick digital? Why would you go digital today? Would you go digital just because it's not screen print? Would you go digital because it's a premium for your artwork or your, the resolution of your artwork? Or is mm-hmm. it, or is it just that you are, it's a cost-cutting measure for your business. So there's a kind of there's a few different ways to look at digital. If you're looking to just you know elevate the the the, the resolution of your artwork, the LPI of of your artwork, this is a sure shot way of doing it. But you know you're you're going to be paying a premium for it, and if you have that kind of margin, great. If you don't, then you don't want to find out after you've bought a half a million dollar machine that you know maybe the opportunity for your business is not there. So I think it's, it's just education and looking at the, looking at the application in every light or in every facet of your business. Has, has digital affected like inventory, right? Like being able to print on demand or we talked about setup time earlier, but you know, as we're also thinking like speed to customers, speed to end user, there's less brick and mortar now. Has digital affected how you know bigger companies look at inventory positions or anything like that? I think it's helped, you know, in, in addition to other you know measures that that retail has taken, has taken you know things such as smaller orders, which I'm not you know a huge proponent of um, per se. You know, I don't think you you really set up your 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 vendor um, by you know you know cutting back on you know, the volume or, or the, the, you know, the size of your orders. I don't think that that's, that's the solve for running lower inventory. I think just being, um, better about your forecasts, I think single-handedly is a much better way about going about that. But I think digital does, does help, um, or, or is one of those tools to help drive the inventories lower, um, such as, you know, being able to print, you know, one-off artworks, or you can do, you know, hot folder style, single one-off pieces, like printing on every palette, a different graphic or on every, every garment, you know, things like that help. Um, 
obviously, you know, complexity of artwork is, is something that digital is really, really good at. And, you know, number of colors, you know, for, for us, you know, for screen printers, you know, every color, we're used to counting every color as a screen or two. So digital definitely helps. And it's a, it's a big tool for, for driving lower inventories, but you know, that's kind of the name of the game. And I think it's going to continue. Stores are now realizing that, you know, the kind of the bottom can fall out um, very easily. And the, the, the lower liability that you have, which is inventory on the books, you know, the, the, the easier or the, or the less risk there, there can be, right? Now take that to the consumer, right? Our buying habits have changed of, as a world that's mostly buying electronically and digitally and getting things shipped. How has that changed the landscape of manufacturing to prepare for that? You know, fulfillment is this new thing that we're challenged with every day now. Is this something that we're seeing a ripple effect in that everyone's challenged with to have like, you know, to to be the two day shipper of the world? I I think that just the the mindset of the of the more modern consumer does expect does expect things faster. They expect, you know, shipping to be faster. They expect um, um, a certain level of custom, customizable product if possible. I mean, I, you know, I, I would say maybe 20 years ago in the industry, it was, it was rare to walk into a store, say in, I don't know, Salt Lake City and, and find something that was branded with the city. Now you see it across the country. You see customized product all the time. So I think it just, it, it, that will continue, you know, obviously, you know, um, sportswear and 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 you know active wear i think that a lot of that is some of the some of the things that make um, those items extra special for the consumer is having that that customizable piece or or option to it so i think um also you know app-based shopping and you know just digital sales in general also supports a lot of that you know that that speed that the that the consumer expects nowadays. That's interesting to think about. I mean, there's there's so many factors here. Like, Stephen, you doing that 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 study of like we're only printing call it half the day, and the rest is set up teardown. You know, really pushes on that theoretical vision of digital. But from a retail perspective, I mean, I was reading a great article yesterday or a couple of days ago just on. Brands just will build up to a point where they have to get into retail, like physical stores, you know. And so you talk about, okay, maybe it, it, the piece companies don't have as many physical stores there. But at some point, if they want to reach more people, they need people to feel and touch it. So it's not that it's gone, but it seems a bit different. And then the flip side was that they're using stores to also ship to customers too more locally. So it is that faster delivery instead of from a from a central warehouse. Um, sure which maybe does play into a lot of those digital aspects when, when you talk about quality uh, being able to get there because it is a little bit more on demand. Now, the flip side, I guess, is though then the shop is a lot more holding on to the inventory unless, you know, brands do bring it in-house. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's so interesting thinking like how each pulls and pushes each side and what, yes. where that affects the other end. And, and then there's there's the whole psychology of you know the 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 amount of product it seems to me like the the current consumer is probably more interested in a product that is not very plentiful 
as well. You know, I've seen where, you know, there's, there's very small amounts of product in a store and the, the, the margin is very high. And there's, there's, I, I believe there's sort of like an exclusivity, um, yeah, to, like a aura to it. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, that's kind of the appeal to the consumer as well. So, um, that that's something to think about. And I think that's a little bit more on the like kind of resale market and like pop-up shops and things like that as well. That's interesting. Everybody, this is Rafael Perez joining us uh, live out of, well, Portland or LA. You're, you're back and forth a bunch, but yes. thanks so much West for Coast. being able to share uh, just the background. I mean, we, we absolutely have to be able to do this again, especially in person when you're around next, because there's just so much, depth in in a lot of this especially at the scale you're at thank you guys for joining us though again for another episode of printable apprentices podcast i'm your host bruce for printable we'll see you again next week